Can you imagine what it feels like to be a Canadian soccer player as Peter Vanagas blows the whistle? It's official. Canada, 2000 World Cup champions. How does that sound? You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. Yes, it's episode 49 of the Northern Football Podcast. I'm Peter Galindo. He's Thomas Neff. We're back with another post-match edition of the show. Not going to lie, Thomas, I'm a little sleep-deprived and running on adrenaline right now, but how can you not be after last night? Yeah, definitely am. A couple hours of sleep. Um, no, that was quite something. Canada has done it, ending a 36-year-old drought uh, from not winning in Honduras last time in 1985, way before we were even born, Peter. Uh, historic result by all accounts and admission one of four uh, accomplished in Central America, uh, eliminating Honduras in the process from World Cup qualifying contention and putting that 8-1 dark game uh, behind us. So really killing two birds with one stone. Uh, it wasn't pretty. It never is. Um, but they won uh, 2 nothing, uh, as I predicted. Um, we'll have uh, everything, you know, from this from this match, uh, as well as uh, previewing the, the U.S. game um, with uh, two American journalists and David Goss and Tom Bogard. Uh, thank you, everyone, to send in their questions, as this one will be, again, another uh, driven show uh, with us in our questions. So it should be good. Yes, indeed. We thank you for doing some of our work for us, as usual. Uh, a reminder that the Northern Football Podcast is partnered with Northern Tribune and Canucks Abroad. Check them out at northerntribune.ca and canucks-abroad.ca and follow them on Twitter at North Tribune and at Canucks underscore abroad, respectively. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, so you don't miss any episodes. If you use Apple or Spotify, then leave us a rating. And if your platform of choice is Apple, then give us a review as well and follow us on Twitter at Northern Football. Now to the fun part. Honduras nil, Canada 2. Canada, of course, as Thomas mentioned off the top there, gets its first win in Honduras since 1985, thanks to Tejon Buchanan creating an own goal after 10 minutes before Jonathan David finished it off with an unbelievable strike, the latest golazo for a Canadian in the Ocho. The win keeps Canada atop the table and five points, crucially, above fourth place Panama, who lost in Costa Rica last night, pushing them one step closer to automatic qualification, the Canadians, of course. That David goal will kick us off, Thomas. We asked you guys, the listeners, which goal you thought was better, David's last night or Alfonso Davies against Panama. From 318 votes, 71% of you still going with my choice in Davies versus Panama, and 29% selected last night's wonder goal. Some notable listener comments. Aru Yan saying, have to say Davies, since the match was looking like a tough 1-1 draw, but with that run, he changed course of the game and program. P.A. Sear said, I'd like to rate them equal, but based on the moment an opponent against whom it was scored had to say Davies, although scoring in Honduras carries a lot of weight in itself. Craig Kennedy says to pick Fonsi is no critique of that masterpiece from Joe David, just... Wow. Um, Mike K continues with this comment. Joe's goal was sheer technical marvel, but no one in the world can do what Fonsi did with his speed and athleticism. Alex Torres follows it up with a comment saying, gorgeous goal by David, but I think the solo effort from Davies and the context of its effect on the program puts it above. And finally, Tyler at underscore Tyler underscore E said, Davies all day long, bigger moment, but... That technique from David, fire. So, Thomas, which one do you prefer of the two? Yeah, I'm surprised it um, it actually wasn't that close in, in the voting itself. Uh, that goal was a close second. I mean, how about that pass, eh, Liam Fraser? The Davies goal was was something else, uh, just on a different level. Uh, that goal, a goal of 2021, this surely has to be goal of 2022. I mean, someone has to be calling the Puskas committee headquarter here. But, I mean, you can replay that a hundred times, and it's just a thing of brilliance. And Fonzie live-twitching uh, the match, his reaction, iconic. Uh, more so than the wins, these are the kind of goals that go viral and, and help, uh, you know, casual fans, you know, get interested. Well, I thought that the voting wouldn't be too close, because I figured Davies against Panama would still 
probably win out just because of the fact that it was such an incredible individual effort and run. Whereas David's was, I mean, it was a terrific pass from, from Liam Fraser. It was a really good finish from David and obviously really good control to get that ball down to put himself in position for the finish. But I think in terms of the wow factor and the, and the shock factor, which I think goes into a lot of those goals, I still think Davies takes the cake in that regard. Plus it was sort of the moment where you thought, oh my God, Canada might actually do this here. They might actually qualify automatically. Because up until that goal, they might have ended up dropping points at home against Panama and we'd be looking at this campaign entirely differently. Stefan Jordan asking an interesting question, which I think could be a little closer. He asked, which assist slash goal was more impressive? Estacchio to Hoylet in the Gold Cup or Fraser's t- dime to David last night? The Estacchio assist was the gorgeous ball over the top of the Costa Rican defense to Hoylet in the quarterfinals for that opening goal. For those who've lost track of the sublime goals that Canada has scored over the last 12 months. So, Thomas, which of those two would you say was better? Well, they were literally the exact same. I mean, they were very, very similar. The Ostakia pass to Hoylet. I would say Fraser takes it just for the significance aspect, but no question about it. I mean, both incredible. The fact we're even sitting here having this debate about speaking about golazos, three of them, uh, is pretty significant uh, nonetheless. Yeah, I have to agree. I think the difficulty... It takes from Fraser to not only weigh that ball properly, but get it through as many defenders as he had to on a really poor surface. And in that moment of the game where he's not expected to probably come into the game at the point he came in, and he's deep in his own end, they just broke up an oncoming Honduran attack, one of many that they had to deal with at that stage in the game, and then to find David with that sort of precision just takes a lot of skill. Take nothing away from Estacchio's ball to, to Hoylet because he too completed that ball from his own half. But I like to think, and I mean, I'm not a professional. I can never do either of these, Thomas. Let's get that right here. Hitting a ball over the top of a defense is still very difficult to do, especially with that accuracy. But the fact Fraser had to thread the needle to get that ball to David is what makes that a bit better for me. As for David's performance as a whole, he may not have stood out to the naked eye before that goal, but he was working hard as always, which Herdman immediately pointed out after the game. Here's what he said. It's his effort, his, his work rate, his tactical discipline. If you watch them all night, he put that cover shadow on the centre midfielders. He was always in a position to deny those two centre midfielders, that switching opportunity, those switches that can damage you against teams like uh, when they have, you know, wide players like Kyoto or wide players like Elise. I just think he, he does the dirty work and he's a, he's a top player in Europe and find that player to do the dirty work when they're coming into environments like this. That's not easy. So, I mean, I take my hat off to him. You'll see he's, he's running stats. They're right up there. But then <laughs> he can produce that moment. And, and, it, and it was late. I mean, it was quite late in the game. He put a big shift in and he's still there ready to, um, you know, bring that, I've called him it before, that sort of ice man, just that ice in his veins and big moments. So after Herdman's comments, Thomas, what do you think of David's performance overall from that Honduras game? Well, he was rewarded with that goal, but he helped maintain possession, you know, for Canada, which is a very important uh, role. Uh, which, by the way, guys, possession-wise, uh, Canada wasn't that dominant in, in that aspect, too. Um, he also helped out defensively, too, which you rarely see nowadays from forwards. Um, so, again, it was a very, you know, kind of, you know, grind performance from from David. Uh, not his best game, but but you have to give credit where credit is due and, and hope that, you know, he can just keep this momentum going because I don't know who's had criticisms of David in the past, but uh, some people have said that maybe he couldn't translate uh, his club form to his national team form. And, and I mean, the, the goal-to-game ratio just doesn't signify that. No, but I still think that overall, in, in terms of what he had to deal with, in terms of what the team had to deal with, I still think he had a pretty solid game. Because don't forget, apart from the defensive aspect, which he was very good in yet again, he always has been very defensively responsible. This isn't the first time Herdman has praised his work off the ball. He did have 
a glorious opportunity earlier in the second half to double the lead. He unfortunately just didn't get enough power on his shot. Uh, I think he was maybe trying a little too hard to place it rather than just kind of get it past Luis Lopez in goal. And then he had a, you know, kind of half-hearted penalty shout a little thereafter. So he was finding his spots. He just couldn't get the finish. And then literally the most difficult of them all, he pulls it off. So I think overall, it was a decent game for him. Whether the partnership itself can thrive is another question, which we'll get into in our U.S. preview. But David, by himself, I thought was pretty effective. And that's now, what, his fourth goal of the Ocho, which when you consider the fact that he started the Ocho cycle on a not-so-strong level of play, he's slowly ramped it up because now he has the goal against El Salvador in September, he scored against Panama in October, he got the winner against Costa Rica, and then he got the goal that wrapped up the victory in Honduras, which is obviously going to be euphoric for a lot of us involved in Canadian soccer. So you have to give him credit where credit is due, that's for sure. Yeah, he's definitely now picking himself up right where he left off, and and he's only had, you know, like you say, four or five marquee games. But when he doesn't have a game, you know, someone else like Laren and, and and so forth picks up the slack. So in a way, it's sort of like it's not noticeable, uh, which, you know, in a team like, for example, uh, Honduras, it would be more just because they only have one, uh, I guess, one or two world-class players. It is true. Um, he finished with 0.91 expected goals in that game, by the way. So he, in the end, based on that metric, did deserve to score. Um, moving on to another player who was probably the, the liveliest in the opening half hour. That was Tejon Buchanan. What did you think of him at right wing back before the eventual positional change when the, the substitutions were made just after the hour mark? Well, I tweeted out uh, when the 11 came out that it was a bold move by Herman to pick Buchanan over Larea as a right wing back. Uh, we know Buchanan has already played twice uh, in competitive matches this year, where Larea has not, unfortunate, you know, for Buchanan that that goal was an own goal uh, and not giving to his name. But overall, I liked him. I, I liked him in that in that role. You know, he's played there before at the MLS level, and and even in in Club Bruges. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know people want to see Buchanan always up front, uh, but sometimes you have to find ways to fit players in, no matter what. And that's exactly what Herman did. And I would hope that now in this uh, second match, we'll get into a bit later, that, you know, Herman switches it up because he definitely has, you know, different different combinations to work with and and they're definitely working. Uh, And also one last thing, Buchanan, it seems like he loves these games where there's like a key player missing and he he steps it up. Like like that, for example, that, that Mexico game in the Gold Cup, no Davies, no David, no Laird, and he was the hero. It, for me, it, it's it's this sort of resonates in, in a way. Yes, David was there and Laren was there, but he went from, you know, and we've said this so many times, he went from not being a lock to being a lock to entering that second line of attack to literally now pushing for that first line of attack. So it, it's remarkable. Well, he didn't get a single Canada call-up until March for the Olympic qualifiers at any level. And now he's just as focal a piece of the team as Davies is, as Laren is, as David is, which is crazy, right? When you consider the meteoric rise he's gone through. But I wasn't shocked to see him at wingback at all because I figured if there was a chance he would start at wingback, there would be, especially when you had both Atakubi and Lorea on yellow card warnings. And, and I predicted that one of those two would end up getting dropped as a result, but then eventually come into the game just to mitigate the risk. Which, by the way, you have to give credit to Canada because they were extremely disciplined on the yellow cards. You had four yeah. players around yellows and they were on point, Peter. Like, they did not engage in this bullshit that happens in CONCACAF, which, I honestly, I liked because Canada has learned their lesson that they that they have to, you know, suck things up and um, and, and play the game, you know. Well, exactly. I mean, you have seven guys on yellow card warnings. You you do have to be careful, and you only have two games left in this window. So that's why I wasn't shocked to see one of those guys benched. Buchanan himself at right wing back was, I think, as expected. He was starting his runs further away from goal, which enabled him to get time on the ball. And then he was just causing problems for that Honduran defense who was sitting in a lower block if the high press was bypassed. They would just eventually retreat and then sit in those compact blocks. And Buchanan was, well, I mean, as we saw after 10 minutes, he was able to to find some space, get around Diego uh, Rodriguez, and 
obviously have that have that own goal get created out of nothing. So that is what he was there for. And then there were moments too where eventually when Honduras realized the threat he posed in that position, they'd start cheating and pushing him higher up the pitch. And then that left the entire flank exposed, which I think Hutchinson and Laren were able to exploit a couple of times. After the half hour mark, it, it seemed to slow down a bit. I don't know if it was the pitch or, or whatever else, but you didn't see as many of those sequences being pulled off. But overall, I, I thought he was he was really solid at wingback. And then eventually at forward, um, you know, moving him up front made sense given the, the game situation and the fact that Honduras was pushing for an equalizer. So overall, you know, Buchanan looked really, really solid. And I think it's a position he'll end up occupying a little more often without Davies here, um, provided that extends into March, of course. Question here from Aiden Stanky. He asked, with many great individual performances so far in the Octagon, Milan Borian has preserved Canada points in multiple games. He was man of the match yesterday, made the goal line save against Mexico, so is there a case to be made for Borian to be Canada's best player so far in the Octagon? An interesting question, Thomas. We can say that about everyone. (laughs) Borian made three massive saves late in the second half. One also went off the bar, um, so he was obviously lucky there. But again, I think that 70th minute save, that that was for me a turning point. And and you look at that, you know, Costa Rica match uh, where Canada did catch a break. I think it was one of those things. And the reason I'll say that is this, the own goal, that's one, the, the, the bar going, you know, the ref. But also just the fact that the game was just so much slowed down because that field, for me, if I had to put it in words, Peter, that field is an improved cow patch <laughs> from Kingston. <laughs> if you had to rank pitches from Port-au-Prince to Kingston to Honduras to San Pedro Sula, I should say, this one is better, but not by much, uh, which now will present a different task uh, you know, in the U.S. because that will be a plastic pitch. But the game was so slow. The ball could not move if you wanted it to. It's like when you have players playing in Europe, as, as I already touched on last episode, 16 of 25 players playing in Europe consistently. And in that 11, eight of them in Europe, only three of them starting in preseasons. And, and I have to add two as well. The three players that were playing in preseason without any games, Borjan included as he's in winter camp, it's insane because you touched on this in the previous episode, how some people were concerned, including myself, how these players that were out of season would be able to perform or not. And they did not look out of place. Well, I would maybe have one disagreement about that statement, which we'll now get into. But we'll start first with um, some injury news. Jody Dubik and UT asked, any news on Samuel Piet's injury? Any chance he can play on Sunday? Unfortunately, due to the circumstances of the post-match presser and everything, only six of us got to ask questions. We all had stories to file. No one actually asked about Piet's status, which is on us. That That's actually not a very good job on those of us who ask questions. But regardless, I would say his status is in doubt. I think we'll find out more in the pre-match avail on, what is it, Saturday when we speak to John Herdman. But specifically on Piet, because you mentioned, Thomas, you know, some MLS guys not looking out of place. What did you think of his performance? And then eventually Fraser, who came in to replace him, because he was called upon probably a lot earlier than he thought he was going to be. So I would say that Piet was sort of feeding off uh, Atiba a lot. You have, in terms of caps, Piet is obviously the the guy in the, in the midfield uh, after Atiba with the second most caps. But again, I, I think that generally speaking, of course, it, it's never ideal to have just one informed midfielder. For me, besides Piet, I also kind of had a heart attack too when Scott Kennedy <laughs> was when the stretch was coming out because that was like, wow, you know, that we'd had second or second player. But look, I understand a lot of people criticize Piet because he has he's not someone that's maybe a difference maker all the time. It's unfortunate that he got injured, no doubt about it. Looked rusty at times. But I said this in the last episode, if you want to take a listen, someone like Fraser coming in cold can give you something. And that's what I was hoping what would happen with Piet, but it just it didn't happen as as we obviously found out. I assumed Fraser would feature in some way. I just didn't think he'd end up playing about an hour. In terms of Piet, here's where I disagree on the statement that all the MLS guys looked 
pretty well solid given the circumstances. I thought Piet was still a step off the mark. There were people who were praising his performance through the 35 minutes. I was nervous at times watching him. I I could really see the lack of match fitness in his legs specifically. He did leave the ball short on on a few passes. You could chalk that down to the quality of the pitch. But there were times off the ball when he would, and he tends to do this a lot, and most of the time it comes off, he'll push up high to try to win the ball as quickly as possible and then kind of launch an attack the other way. But there were many situations where... Let's say a a player would receive the ball in the midfield for Honduras. Piet would push up almost immediately, and then Honduras would pull off a quick one-two sequence between the forward behind Piet in the space that he would leave behind, and Piet would get burned every single time. And I'm thinking to myself, this is quite basic stuff, and you have to wonder if he had more match fitness in his legs A, would he react quicker? I mean, he's never been the fastest guy, but would he react quicker? And B, would he be as willing to push up in every single situation like he was in that game? Luckily, from a Canadian perspective, Thomas, it actually wasn't that hot last night. I think it was only 23, 24 degrees at at most in San Pedro Sula last night, which is really lucky. But that's, I guess, what you get from not playing games at 3 p.m. But I also have to say, uh, just on your point, because I actually thought about this last night, I think it made a huge difference, one, that the stadium wasn't full, as some people might have uh, said, and the fact that what well, you mentioned there, the game wasn't in the middle of the day where it's 30, 35 degrees. So I think those two details in itself uh, helped a lot. And you mentioned Piet. I want to talk about Kyoto too, because he looked awful as well. And that's just what happens. Sometimes you just, uh, the off season is just not kind to you. But but again, you see like someone like, like Johnston too. So he, we had him on the show as well, and 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 he was saying how how the MLS guys, you know, himself included, um, you know, work hard and, and they're professionals and 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 they do everything possible. But you just have to ask yourself um, if this injury could have been prevented. Yeah, see, and that's the other thing too, right? The, the fact you're playing on a poor pitch, the fact that you know you're you're going hard for thirty minutes at that point, and you're just not really used to it. That certainly contributed to it as well. And that was also a really bad tackle, <laughs> obviously, but. Despite the issues Piet had, one last thing on this. Fraser defensively, I was a little worried about when he came in. I thought he was really good defensively. I thought that he really picked his spots well, timed his tackles well, broke up some promising attacks for Honduras. Um, In possession, that pass aside, a little choppy at times, which again you expect with the pitch and the fact he hasn't played in a while. But when it counted, man, did he ever pull it off? That's for sure. All right, moving over to... A question from Spencer Rose. Uh, He asked about, as we transition to the defense, he asked about Scott Kennedy. Uh, Do you think Scott Kennedy earned himself another start after his performance tonight? He looked really, really good, Thomas. And I was surprised a little bit initially that he started because I figured if there was going to be anyone who'd replace Kamal Miller, it would be Derek Cornelius. But then when you look at the game situation, Honduras was going direct a lot. And because they were hitting so many long balls, given Kamal Miller's deficiencies in the air and the fact that he was coming in cold, at least in terms of match fitness, and with Kennedy's prowess in the air, made a lot of sense to start him, and that ended up paying off quite significantly. Yeah, they're different players. And I think I said this in the the previous show before it got deleted. (laughs) Kennedy, when before he got injured, he was pushing for he was pushing Kamal Miller uh, deep, you know, to be that uh, starting left center back. And when he got injured, was super unfortunate because he had just started. I think this is now his sixth cap, so he doesn't have too much experience. Kamal Miller has nineteen, and Johnson has nineteen, both of them. So Kennedy now, you know, has shown in multiple games now in multiple key games without too much Canada experience, international experience, I should say that he is more than willing to just be thrown into the fire just because he has that club form, you know, to really show for. And I would even expand on this, that you have um, Cornelius and you have Kennedy and you have Miller given because of COVID and, 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 and as tough as it sounds, COVID might be a, a blessing in disguise because now you are allowed to bring these expanded rosters which you know now doesn't gives you the, the flexibility to not turn down guys like Cornelius, for example, 
who in this case I think would be the odd man out if you could only pick uh, two on the left-hand side. Yes, I I agree with that, 100%. So another player that, you know, also returned, and after even a longer time, was Junior Horlitz playing as a false nine. Um, He was dealing with a lot of injuries, Peter. uh, You mentioned it in even the last episode. He's usually a guy that goes uh, 60 minutes, the hour mark. And that's exactly what happened with him. What did you make of Junior Horlitz's performance last night? This was interesting. I suspected he would start. I suspected he would see time centrally. But I was a little taken aback at at the fact that he was playing as more of like a left-sided central midfielder. Because I figured he would kind of be this in-between right winger where he kind of plays with Buchanan. But overall, I thought he was really good, as usual. He kind of picked up where he left off. He was really, really good at just maneuvering through those tight spaces and progressing the ball like he always does. And... In the end, maybe the passing numbers aren't going to look so, so good in his, what, hour on the pitch? I think he was 17 for 23, but given the circumstances, I think he was really solid in that regard. He had two key passes, and even when the passes didn't come off, he was finding some really good spots and making some really good runs. So I really liked him in the position overall. I thought he was really, really solid, and... I figured he would only go an hour, maybe an hour and a bit, and that's what he did, but that's all they really needed in the end because he did his job, both defensively as well as on the ball. I have to agree that some someone like Sam Adekube is making that left-back spot his own, and you can argue that he's the most natural left-back on the team. I thought he, he continues to step up his level. Um, in November, he took it to a completely another level, but do you think he stepped up his level in this one because – the more game time he's getting, and obviously his club form uh, in Turkey has a lot to do with that as well, it looks like he's becoming more and more uh, of a key player for Canada. And this was interesting, Thomas, because it was a different kind of game that Adekubi had to play in this one. He was more of a stay-at-home left back, more often than he was two-way, as like we saw in November. He still had his moments where he got forward, no question about it, but more often than not, like he was being... Time. Yeah, exactly. And he was, more often than not, really asked to to get involved in his own third. And he did exactly that. He was really good in that regard. Overall, defensively, didn't give Albert Elise anything whatsoever. Then eventually, you could see that Honduras started to prefer the right side because Buchanan was obviously going up and down and, and there would be spaces to exploit there. But that goes to show you just how solid Atakubi was defensively. Just to run through some of the numbers here, he had five interceptions and about six recoveries. So it goes to show you just how solid defensively he was in this one. And he always has been a really, really good defensive-minded fullback when he needs to be. But when people think of Atakubi, generally, they look at his two-way abilities, his technique, his pace, but they sometimes overlook the defensive aspect, and it was really good here. The back five was solid all night long. And yes, that had to do a lot with the pitch. Again, the pitch. Because when guys like Lozano, who's coming from Cadiz in La Liga, and Ellis, who's coming from Bordeaux in France, when they're tripping up on this pitch, th- there has to be some sort of issue, you know, in Honduras. Because even, even, the, even the Honduran commentators were saying the pitch was for both teams, right? But overall, I mean, that trio was John Herman's uh, biggest concern going into into this game. Um, you know, you mentioned that trio, just because obviously besides Brian Acosta in the midfield, the rest of the team is is playing domestically, but the back four, back five, really, really did a solid, solid job. But up up the field, what did you make of the pivot of Atiba and Piet? You know, Atiba just continues to impress. Well, I gave my thoughts on Piet, but as for Hutchinson, we've run out of superlatives for this guy. Honestly, he's he's up there with, with Davies and those guys in terms of just wowing you every single time he's on the pitch. Um, he's just so brilliantly consistent. And if you're an opponent, frustratingly consistent. Because that's exactly what he was yesterday. He completed more passes than anybody else, attempted more passes than anybody else, still got very involved defensively. I think he finished with like eight recoveries and a couple of tackles and interception. And really good at releasing Buchanan into space. And that was one of the most crucial aspects of his job. And he, and he did it really well and seamlessly and so calmly. Without Ashtakio there, Hodginson was going to be leaned on. And the fact that he was able to deliver 
which I think we all expected he would anyways, was, I think, a lot more comforting for fans to see that. In terms of the significance of this win, Atiba spoke to Canada Soccer after the match, and you can see not just the relief, but but just the sheer joy on his face at getting a win in San Pedro Sula in a venue where he has played in multiple times and has come up on the short end of the stick so many times. Really, really happy to see him finally, finally profit. And the fact that they're one step closer to automatic qualification is just the cherry on top. Feels amazing. It feels amazing. Uh, I never thought I'd, I'd have another chance at you know playing in this stadium in front of these fans again. It's always a uh, you know a very difficult place to play, and and it's been you know in my mind for a very long time. Uh, I had a lot of sleepless nights, and uh, to come here and get such a massive win, um, you know, considering where we are in, in the table and, and how much we're playing for, uh, shows a lot of, of this team. It 100% is, and especially a guy like that who played in that 8-1 game. I have to say. Performance of Cavallini. We have a question on him from JL at usually underscore thirsty. Uh, were you as surprised as me to see Cavallini get in? It worked out very well, but we have to expect to see Ugbo or even Miller at that point. I have to say, Peter, I didn't have much expectations when Cavallini came on. But when he came on, boy, did he run. And he got on the ball and he almost had a goal. Um, potentially, he never got the chance, but... He, you know, he was very dangerous uh, for a guy that is out of form and ended the 2021 MLS season not in the best way. Um, has to be surprising and, and looks like, you know, Herman wasn't wasn't lying when he when he said that Cavalini looked very good in training. Well, yeah, clearly. And he also finished with his patented yellow card, by the way, just a Cavalini staple at this point. Overall, in, in his brief appearance, yeah, he looked very promising. And when you consider the rationale for this, because I, too, was a bit taken aback that he came in. But I think Herdman planned on moving Buchanan up front at some point in that game. And because of that, I don't think it would have made a lot of sense to put Ugbo in there with Buchanan. And because David was getting so many chances in that game, he had three really good ones, of course. I think it made sense to bring Cavallini in when he did. And he really thrives at getting early balls from the flanks and that's what created that that really promising chance for him was a was a ball from the flank right but overall he looked really promising in his in his little cameo there and we have uh, another question from van s at van underscore jets what was your opinion on the ref peter i have to say not surprising by any concaf standards but you have to say that this ref was calling a lot of uh, fouls that were just not fouls and these Honduran players, they are just like any other Latin American team, Peter. Uh, they love getting on the ground. And they love, you know, kind of wasting that time because obviously the pitch was already, already slow. And when you slow down the game, it, you know, kills momentum. But it didn't seem to affect Canada at all as they stayed, as they, as they stayed quite composed as well, even in a couple scuffles, uh, you know, when, you know, Johnston's uh, uh, improv Spanish from Obstacchio helped him. <laughs> yes, yes, it did. I mean, I guess the one thing you could say was at least the refereeing was somewhat consistent and that he wasn't calling very much. That probably changes the game went on. And I think you come to expect that now, which is unfortunate. But I think overall, he wasn't the story of the game, which I guess is a win if you're Canadian. But overall, still not very, very good. And even on the calls that looked very obvious right away. He took an extra second or two to really think about it. I'm thinking to myself, call the foul, man. Like, like why, what are you waiting for? All right, moving over to a preview of the U.S. game this Sunday at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton. We got a bunch of listener questions for this one. So we'll dive into the first one with Spin at Spinell's Can, who asked, do you see... Herdman starting Laren and David together again. Thomas, do you expect to see this, or do you think Herdman makes changes? I don't see why not. I would it would really surprise me if he didn't start one or the other, as he did in Edmonton uh, against Mexico. But I don't see why not. I mean, why why can't these two coexist? What I would say is that I don't know if Hoylet, uh might be the guy for the second game. It seemed at times that you know they, that th- that trio wasn't fluid, and again, it had a lot to do with conditions. It's not like they those three are not good together. It's just the conditions too. 
but maybe he switches it up. I would be shocked if Herman didn't switch anything up because given how Canada already proved themselves against the U.S., they're still the only team in the Ocho that are still undefeated. And even with the results last night, with the U.S. winning their game, Mexico winning their game, and obviously Panama, you know, dropping some points as well, which is, you know, excellent for Canada's uh, circumstances. You look at We Global, Canada has a 99% chance to qualify. So when does, and we have five fixtures left, when does the point of resting players come? Uh, not quite. I don't think they have to put their, their gas off the pedal. But but again, I would expect some sort of rotation, but maybe not in, in, in this one. I can definitely see one of those guys getting rested. And it's not because they didn't impress together. I don't think it was perfect. I think the fact that that was their first game back together as a partnership since, what, September had a lot to do with it. I think the fact that Laren was only just recovered from COVID had a lot to do with it. The fact that the overall team had differing levels of fitness was definitely a factor too. I just feel like the game situation against the U.S., given that it's going to be cold, it's going to be a very hard plastic pitch where the ball is just going to move like a bullet on that surface. I feel like they're going to want to start a guy who is going to stretch the U.S. defense because the U.S. have not been shy of seeding the initiative at times against Canada and make them break them down. And we saw that at the Gold Cup in the group stage. That was obviously a different circumstance because different rosters and whatnot. But just given what what I think the game will present, and if those November matches are any indication, it's not going to be pretty, I think you're going to need a forward to stretch the defense. And as a result, I don't think both of those guys are going to end up starting. If I had to pick one or the other, it might end up being David just because he's the hot hand. And then Laren can come off the bench and, and be a like-for-like like replacement, which is a great problem to have, by the way. You're not always going to be able to start everybody. Eventually, one guy is going to get dropped, which leads to an interesting question here, Thomas. Do you think E.K. Ugbo starts against the U.S.? That's from ML at JP number 10. As much as we want to see Ugbo come in, and I think he would do quite a good job if he was given more playing time than last time, definitely. Uh, more than 8 to 10 minutes. I would sell Salvador's more maybe his, you know, cup of tea. I don't know, man. I just think that against the U.S., yes, you, you're you playing at home, and there's obviously a much bigger – there's a much lesser difference between the U.S. and Canada quality-wise. And, yes, it's cold, but a lot of these American players already play in colder conditions. Uh, and it's going to be a tight game, and I think you just need all your best players in that match. Uh, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no for this one, but definitely, uh, if Ugbo hasn't played any consistent, uh, any significant minutes, I should say, in those first two games, then definitely Ugbo, uh, earmark him for that third game against El Salvador. That probably would be the game he'd start, but I think he can come off the bench too and feature in some way. All right, so moving over to Mao at Talk to Maori, uh, Tejon moved a bit as subs were made. What position would you start him on? For Sunday, and what is the secondary position you would want him for, depending on the starting lineup? I think he'll, Thomas, if he does start, which I think he will, I think he's going to start in the position he finished in against Honduras, and that is up front myself. Yeah, it's very likely. Um, but again, I mean, Herman can just continues to just change the formation in game, which is, I mean, I find it bizarre. The only doubt that I have is that if you play Buchanan, uh, then who's really coming out, right? So that's that's the other thing. And for me, I mean, Buchanan's been so good, but you have to look at it from what's the easier game to win. I think it's going to be El Salvador, considering they are pretty much eliminated. Like, against the U.S., which players will do better against that American defense? You really have to have an honest conversation of which those players are. In the, to in the total of three games, the first 270 minutes, I'm sure Herman has to have a book on these guys, you know, because a lot of these guys will, will tell Herman themselves, as Johnson kind of alluded to last week, yeah, I'm good, coach, put me back in. I'm not really that tired. But uh, I have to think that some of these guys might. Yeah, I, I think so. But I also don't think it's in this team to overlook a game, if, if we want to use that term, especially at home against the U.S., 
Like, I think if pretty much everybody's ready to go and you can keep most of the same 11 intact, I think they'll do it. You'll definitely see changes. It's it's just a Herdman staple at this point that he's going to do something that'll surprise one or two of us. But I don't think you're going to see... It's crazy because he's good friends with Berhalter. I mean, they talk on the phone, man. They do. <laughs> they do. So, And you know what? Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. We'll, we'll end up seeing which one it is this Sunday. Just to kind of maybe elaborate on why I think Buchanan ends up starting, the form he's in... The fact that he can stretch defenses, the fact that he looked very good in that role against the U.S. at the Gold Cup, I think that's all going to factor in here. And I think he'd just be a bit more of a threat in that position as opposed to starting from wingback where I think he may have a little more resistance than he would against Honduras because I don't think the U.S. would let him get free as often as the Honduran defense would. All right, Thomas, here's a question that maybe you can shed some light on here. Moody's ratings at Hank underscore Moody 12 asked, is it possible that the Ashtakio rumors that he will be available against the U.S. are a smokescreen? They did let Atiba go the full 90, but they didn't have many other options after the Piet injury. So Ashtakio was supposed to get a test done on Thursday. If it was negative, he'd then immediately fly to Canada and then take part in that U.S. game. Do you have any sort of update on that? No, that's exactly it. Um, I was told uh, two days ago, uh, so it's kind of, I need to update that information. If he tested negative the 28th, today, Friday, flying straight to Canada, and and would be good to go, would be on a plane for sure. But yeah, I mean, I just hope that they can count him, man, because with Piet Puck potentially being out, that means you might have to call up two, two, two midfielders. And... We talk a lot about depth. And, Hank, I mean, even you and I, man, we, we even thought about uh, – I eventually sticked out with the fact that Fraser should remain the team as the sixth midfielder, which ended up happening in eight. It paid off. But we keep talking about other options. And if Ostaki is not good to go, I don't know how the likelihood of him just coming in for traveling all the way to San Salvador is – uh, and obviously without Piet, I mean, you'd kind of have to bring in a couple guys, two guys with uh, zero caps. Yeah, it's true. But I, I don't know. Something tells me that I think he's going to be fine. He'll test negative and I think he'll be available against the U.S. Like, I, I feel that was almost scripted in a way that he was going to be ready for that game just based on how Omicron works and everything else. But everybody's body is different. Maybe he ends up testing positive and he's ruled out for the entire window. Who knows? All right, so Ken, at my team's wear red underscore, asked, with Piet injured and Atiba gassed, who starts in the midfield against the U.S.? Um, I can see, Thomas, them returning to a trio because the U.S. always uses a trio. You don't want to get overmatched. So I think the fact that you saw Osorio come in, Kay was rested due to probably yellow card concerns. Um, he was on the bench physically, just wasn't made an option because they could only name 12 subs and they had 14 of them, including Ashtakio. So he was the odd man out. I think you end up seeing him come back in. And then if Ashtakio can't go, then Hutchinson will probably get another start here. That's how I see it going. That's a good point. Um, definitely that midfield will be the key to the match. Um, I, I think K is going to get a go regardless of Ostakio's uh, um, regardless of Ostakio's status. Perhaps even Fraser. I mean, I just don't know whether Atiba, if Atiba plays in this one, perhaps he's not really slotted in for that third match, or he could play a half and a half. We have seen that before. But again, I think Fraser has to be rewarded for how good he was. Uh, Kai, for sure, will have to play. And you bring up uh, Jonathan Osorio, who came out as a sub. Congratulations to him, because he just reached uh, 50 caps for Canada. Yes, and some would say he probably deserves a few more, but Benito Floro had something to say about that. Mark Carvalho at IggyFan2001 asked, So, strategic yellow card for Atiba on Sunday. Um, I would probably say you can almost put a bet down on him getting booked, Thomas, just given the, the situation. That's provided it's, it's safe to do so. 100%. I'm definitely going on the sports betting website. I don't even know how sports betting works, <laughs> but I'll put it down a bet. Of him getting a yellow card. Uh, listen, sometimes I, I don't understand this. Um, it's kind of strategic in, in, in a way that you say. Sometimes players uh, do this um, on purpose. But again, if he gets that yellow card, he can go back to, to Turkey and rest, which, I mean, wouldn't be the worst thing for the world uh, for a guy that's uh, turning 39 soon. 
All right, so let's close this out with our predicted 11 and a score prediction. Um, I'll start first, Thomas. The way I see the 11 going is Borean stays in goal, of course. Johnston, Vittoria, and Miller will start this one. I think the fact that Miller came in as a sub might indicate that he was slated to start this one. And then from right to left, I think Lorea comes back in. We see Osorio, and then depending on who is available, of course, this is Ashtakio dependent. One of Hutchinson or Ashtakio centrally next to Mark Anthony K. And then Sam Adekubi retains his place at left wing back. And then it's going to be Buchanan and David up front. That's how I think it goes. Whether it actually does is pretty much a wild card at this point. And I'll go with a I'll go with a one-one draw in this one. How about that? So for me, I don't think I don't think the only things that will change will be the following. Uh, Borian will get the nod again. I think it's going to be Kennedy, and the reason I say that is because an out of form uh, Kamal Miller. I don't know how he's going to handle the pressure against these American uh, forwards. Uh, I do think, however, wild card here, you know, to exchange that rule, I think Daniel Henry might get a chance because we've seen in the past how Herman likes to do that. He likes to give Victoria some much-needed rest. I mean, the guy's 35 years old. Come on. So I think that will that will happen. I just think that, that Herman will throw in that curveball. Johnson should stay in the lineup. Adekubi should stay in the lineup. I think Larea will come back in uh, as he was also came off the bench. So that could also mean that he was he was going to play the second game. Uh, Eustachio, if he's healthy, uh, to come back in. Atiba will play this one. Uh, Kay will come back in if Eustachio can't come in. Uh, then I think it's going to be Fraser, uh, wrapped up by David, Laren, and Buchanan. I think Hoylet will be rested. I think it's going to be tight, man. I think nil-nil. I, I really believe this is going to be one of those games where neither team gives each other an inch. And with both of them being so close in the table, because if they both of them draw and Mexico wins, then that means Canada could be now tied for first, still first on goal differential potentially more than likely. Uh, but again, I just think that both teams are just going to play it safe. All right. Sticking with a preview of that U.S. match on Sunday, we decided to uh, get some help to scout the opposition here as opposed to us just babbling on incoherently about a team that we didn't really get to watch yesterday due to Canada versus Honduras. So we have a couple of guests on here with us. First of all, we have David Gass of Extra Time Radio, MLS, a football pod, among many, many other publications. Uh, David, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. This is one of the more conflicting games of my lifetime, so thanks for having me on to talk about it. <laughs> You're most welcome. You're most welcome. We also have uh, MLSsoccer.com's Tom Bogert on with us. Tom, how are you doing? Thank you for joining us. I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. Um, I don't think I could follow up with what Goss just said there, so I'll just echo what he said and move on. Tom hates Canada. He's hated Canada <laughs> since the day he was born. In the <laughs> armpit of America. <laughs> <laughs> Should make this uh, segment a little spicier then. Why not? All right, guys. So... Obviously, the U.S., I, I suppose if you want to call it this, have a little bit of an advantage because of not just travel, but the fact they've also played in a cold game in this window. Canada did have those two matches in Edmonton, of course, but that was a couple months ago. Based on what you saw, what did you make of the U.S.'s first game of the window, given the conditions? I think when you look at the U.S. performance against El Salvador, you're looking at a team where a ton of the players who started and came off the bench... Um, either aren't in season or just coming off injuries. And so you're looking at a team where you've got every MLS player who's not in season. Um, you've got Timothy Weah, who just came back from injury, Christian Pulisic, who's not getting a ton of playing time. And so I think you saw a U.S. team where we know the ideas, we know the quality, but the speed of play was too slow. Um, and maybe the intensity level was a little bit low at times. And I, th I think a lot of that goes to um, the lack of sharpness in the group. And overall... The numbers say the performance was really good. The eye test doesn't show that as much. And I think that's where you start to see a group that isn't in perfect form, but obviously has quality to win at this level. Agas, I'm, I'm glad that you pointed that out with the advanced numbers. Like, I keep looking at the expected goals tally of, of I think we, uh, the U.S. racked up like 2.6 or whatever, to somewhere over north of two goals. I think and it was like, 2.83. I, I just, like, I, I trust that the numbers are right. I just have zero recollection of any of that. Like, you know, the Jesus Ferreira <laughs> chance in the first half that when he was about six yards out, I'm sure that accumulated for a lot. The Anthony Robinson goal, I'm sure accumulated for a lot. But, like, 
when when a team accumulates that number of expected goals and, and however many shots, if it's supposed to feel like a more vibrant, a more fluid, a more coherent performance. And like every time the United States kind of had like, like nothing was in transition, nothing was smooth. Everything felt clunky. Set pieces were supposed to be dominating these with guys like Walker Zimmerman, you know, I know Miles Robinson didn't play last uh, last night, but Miles Robinson, these are guys who score a handful of goals on, on set pieces every year and we're just not getting these right. So like it, nothing seems to be coming easy. Um, thankfully that the, for the United States, that the Jetty Robinson goal kind of went in because that was a left back with hitting a half volley under pressure. It was still eight yards out, 10 yards out. So it kind of looks like he needs your chance, but there's a real world in which a left back who, who's not exactly, you know, known for, it's Serginho Dest's shooting ability. Like, there's a real world in which that doesn't go in, and then it starts to get, you know, tighter and tighter as the game goes on, and maybe that ends nil-nil, despite however much, you know, expected goals are racked up. So it wasn't exactly encouraging by way of performance, um, and I don't think that the cold has anything to do with that. I think it's more about rust that Goss is saying and just general, you know, lack of of form and, and fitness, I guess, with some of these guys. So I don't know. Um all that matters in World Cup qualifying is three points, so I don't want to harp, uh, harp on it too much. But yeah, the, the performance was not particularly encouraging, and I and I would not blame that on the weather. Tom, David, welcome guys on the show. Uh, by the way, great job that you guys do. Um, Tom, you I'll start with you. You you touch on uh, the obviously players coming in cold and whatnot, um, but the U.S. did have a camp, and obviously the travel wise, they have it much better than Canada. Uh, and heck, our the CONCACAF president is Canadian, and he he couldn't get us to play both the first Central American games back-to-back as opposed to have Canada fly back. But do you think the travel will be a uh, major asset? Do you think that makes uh, the U.S. Um, uh, favorites? I'm not sure. I guess, like, I, I think that that won't play as, you know, a huge role. I mean, certainly something, but, you know, you saw with Canada's starting 11 uh, last night, it was, like, you know, there was a couple guys that you might expect to be starting that, that didn't, obviously... Uh, however many key players, like a guy like Tejan Buchanan, Jonathan David, I'm sure that they're slated in for as close to 270 minutes as, as possible. We'll see what Jonathan Herdman does with the lineups, but you know, it's, it's not easy. It's not ideal for Canada. Um, and then the United States were deliberate in why that, you know, all the, all the questions of why are they playing in, in Columbus and uh, Minnesota? That was because of where Canada put this game. So the United States definitely have travel on their mind and wanted to make it as seamless as possible. So yeah, it, it's not nothing, but but again, I don't think that that, you know, tips the balance one way or the other. It was clearly a factor for Greg Berhalter. Um, he has talked about it over the last few weeks. And why were these games for the U.S. side on home side scheduled in cold weather cities? Why were they scheduled so far north? It was clearly a huge factor in him discussing that. I think the other thing to point out in terms of travel and, and turnaround is it's a tight turnaround between games. Uh, and the U.S. last night, outside of uh, on field players had one player over the age of 24 on the field. Atiba Hutchinson almost doubles that by himself, <laughs> yep. right? You've got Milan Borjan, you've got Steven Vittoria, you've got Junior Hoylet. So not only do you have the travel, you have the short turnaround and then you have the age factor. And I, I don't blame John Herdman for the team. I think he started, I thought it was the right idea to go for the win in Honduras and start the window. Well, but I think you're looking at a Canadian team that probably doesn't turn around for the second game as quickly as the U.S. does. Now they have the depth to fill in for those pieces, but I think when you look at travel, when you look at three games in a tight time span, I think when you look at the quick back-to-back, that all affects it to a degree. Um, At the same time, Canada's playing better soccer right now than the U.S., so I wouldn't make the U.S. favorites going into Canada. All right, well, with all this in mind, David, I'll go back to you to start with this. Do you anticipate a KG, if not dull match on Sunday, given the conditions, the short turnaround for both teams, and especially in Canada's case, the travel back from Honduras? No, I think you're looking at two teams that are going to try and come out and win this game. Um, I don't think Greg Berhalter is going to sit in uh, in anticipation. I think he'll he'll have his team ready to if Ustakio starts and Canada gets on the ball and is dominating. I, I think the U.S. can play well against the ball, actually, but I think they're going to go in to win this game. And I think when you look at the way the Costa Rica game ends, um, last night and the way that the table kind of sits, it's worth it for both teams. Like it's worth it to go out and try in this one and whatever happens, happens. And I would expect the same for Canada. So I'm actually excited for the quality of soccer. We're going to see, I think it's going to be different than all the games we've seen in qualifying. And I think that there's a decent chance that this game could open up. 
I hope so. No, I do. I do hope you're right, guys. Um, you know, the, the the travel factor might make it difficult, but like you said, or all the numbers that come to this is the third game of the window. If you're not rotating, if and that's kind of where the the minutes and the age and the travel piles up. So, Canada, you know, again, I hope that they go for it just just as you know for a spectacle's sake, and and I think that. The United States are more entertaining when the game is open. And, you know, you have players like Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah, you know, Brandon Aronson, you know, insert all these attackers, the, the, the central midfield trio. These are guys who are phenomenal when you can give them a little space and in transition. They're, that's where their strong suit is. That's, and, you know, same thing with, with a guy like Tejan Buchanan. Jonathan David can score against any, you know, set defense or in transition or whatever. But I do hope the game is open. Um, I, I appreciate your optimism, Dave. I'm, I'm not sure how optimistic I am of that. Um, I'm going to die on my optimistic hill. <laughs> it all sounds lovely. And, and I, I would love to subscribe to that theory. And I hope it happens. But there is a little bit of me that fears that, you know, it's 30 minutes in or, you know, oh, it's cold or, or OK, you know, a point at home against the United States isn't bad. And, and Berhalter, you know, a point on the road against Canada isn't bad. So uh, I just hope that they don't come to that kind of quid pro quo of, of like, OK, you know, we'd like to win, but a draw would be fine. So that would uh, that'd be my only fear. But I'm hoping for an open game. Well, you guys mentioned that a point uh, does benefit uh, both sides. And obviously, Berhalter and Herman are quite close. Did you guys uh, give uh, a potential 11 as far as uh, who wipe, who we might see on Sunday? You want to do it together, Tom? Yeah, why not? All right, well, start with goalie. Turner, obviously. Yeah. Um, Zach Steffen's not here, so Turner starts. Uh, I assume Walker Zimmerman remains at center back. Do you agree? I, I think I think it'd be Walker and, and Miles. Okay, so we're agreed there. It feels like Jedi Anthony Robinson. He requested, by the way, last night to only be called Jedi. <laughs> Apparently, so for all Canadians out there, if you come across him, he's an English accented speaking American left back. Please refer to him as his proper name, Jedi. After he, Star Wars, in case you're curious. Yeah. He's solidified himself as pretty much the only left back option and a player who can we've seen him play all three games in the window. So I'd expect yeah. that. Who do you go for at right back? Like that's where it's tough. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I subscribe to the idea of just play your strongest 11 these first two games and rotate in the third. So I would go for Dest. I'm not Ooh. sure if Berhalta will, though. We, <laughs> I don't think he will. Um, we've seen that Dest better going forward than defending. And, <laughs> and when you look at Canada, you're talking about Tejan or Hoylet or Adekube dealing with them. And mm -hmm. you do have to rotate at some point. Um, so I agree with you, Tom, but I don't know that Greg will going into a, a third home game. If it's not Dest, I think it will be Yedlin. Uh, it feels like there's a level of trust there mm. that Greg Berhalter has established. So it's either Dest or Yedlin at right back. Midfield three, what do you think? Uh, again, I, I would I would just stick with the MMA, the, the Musa McKinney Adams. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, though. To see, you know, Luca Della Torre maybe for Musa, um, or you know, maybe you know, Legette didn't dress, so probably not him. But you know, or or is a more, I guess, veteran presence than Musa in this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Adams is the most important player on the team to me, um, yeah. and and I agree with you. I think he'll go with those three again, and they are the heartbeat of this group, especially with the struggles that Pulisic's had and all that. So it feels like those three in the midfield. Uh, any changes up top for you? Again, I'm, I'm not sure if Berhalter do this, but I would like to see Aronson at the left wing, Pepe through the center, which I think Pepe will start regardless, but and then Pulisic on the right rather than Pulisic on the left with Way on the right. I agree with you. Um, I want Way in the starting lineup, but I'm fine with resting him for the Honduras game. Uh, he hasn't played 90 minutes since he got injured, so he, he won't do it three times in a week. So I think me and Tom are in agreement. So we have the same lineup outside of potentially right back. There you go. All right, excellent. That should help a lot of people here when previewing this game. Well, with those 11s now slated in our minds, uh, Thomas and I already gave our predicted 11s for Canada, but, I mean, depending on how you guys think Canada lines up, what do you think are the American players to watch and, and maybe even some individual matchups to watch in this game? Uh, Tom first, then David. Yeah, I mean, we touched on it a little bit. Whoever is opposite Dest, and if, if I'm John Herdman, I'm putting... Tejan Buchanan on the left wing um and, and I'm or if if he's gonna stick on on the right side then I'm telling Jonathan David to kind of shift over to the half space between um the right center back and the right back for the United mm -hmm. States just because we all know how good Dest is going forward but like dating back to like the, the first time I think that I really watched him play was at the U20 World Cup and like I I like to make fun of myself for bad opinions like 30 minutes into that game I was like 
who is this kid that is supposedly highly rated? He can't even deal with the ball like in the air. Like, this kid, this dude sucks. He's not going to be a pro. Like that was my like, <laughs> like, all right, like I want to see more. So like I was really doubtful of him at the beginning and, and now he's a Barcelona player. But again, like I, I think that there's still a lot of that with him that you need to put him on the back foot. And like, I, I like a lot of U.S. fans straight up don't trust him defending. And like, that's why like we talk about rotation and Berhalter can probably spin it that way if he chooses to play Yedlin or somebody else at right back rather than Des. But, like, even going back to the first window, you could call a rotation, but I, I thought that it was a tactical decision to not have Des in, in, like, a game like this and to not have Des at a back four and right back when, you know, when Honduras w- would play. You know, I wouldn't trust him against Elise either. I wouldn't trust him, you know, thank- thankfully for the United States that, that Alfonso Davies is out. Like, Des is not somebody who I would be favorable in that, in that matchup but with guys like that, so... That's the that's the big kind of area that I'm I'm looking at. Yeah, I think there's a couple. Um, I, I think it's a fascinating matchup on, on a lot of different fronts. Uh, I, I agree with, with what Tom said, and and that's the big question mark around Des. Otherwise, he would be an every game player um, for the U.S. And then if you are Canada, do you start Richie out there to take advantage of it? Um, as good as Sam Adekube has been, Richie's a little more dangerous. Right. Um, obviously, without Davies out there, I think the are one, how does Kyle Aaron deal with Walker Zimmerman and and um, potentially Miles Robinson? Zimmerman's a guy who dominates individual battles if you let him. Um, we saw it, I, I thought really a good example of it was in the MLS playoffs versus Daryl DK. Uh, if DK stays in his area, he's going to dominate and win 50-50s. Laren is a mobile player. Laren knows how to go out and find the game. Uh, so can he go out and find gaps and pick the ball up and run at Walker Zimmerman 1v1 and not have everything be uh, his back to goal, Zimmerman winning the ball behind him or 50-50s in the air. Uh, so I think that one's really fascinating just to see how Laren's game has developed and, and how he can influence it. Um, I think if Alistair Johnson starts at that that right center back spot, Brendan Aronson was a nightmare for Canada in the yes. first matchup coming. Yeah. And, and the key with Brendan Aronson's game, especially when he plays for the U.S., is all his runs are outside in. So he pinches in and then makes the move outside right. to pick up the ball in the channel. And and normally the wing back, obviously high up the field, that's something Alistair Johnson's going to have to deal with. And so it'll be interesting to see how that's developed for the group. And then the third one is the central midfield. Um, obviously John Herdman's a fan of Liam Frazier's game and what he brings to the team. It feels like Adams, Musa and McKinney's a different challenge yes. than Ariaga and, and everyone else. <laughs> I would play Mark Anthony K. I'd also, mm-hmm. if I owned an MLS team, I would sign Mark Anthony K as my opening DP because I love Same. him. Yep. Mark's, a great, Mark's a great guy. So I would start him in that game. But if it's K and Atiba or if it's Ustakia, whatever it is, Canada has a bunch of different looks. Uh, but the U.S. is mobile. They're active in that central midfield. So it'll be interesting to see what John Herdman goes with and then how that plays out. Well, guys, uh, to ask you on this, um, what would be your predictions uh, for this match? Uh, predictions suck. I'm always wrong. So <laughs> sucks doing that. So are we, Dave. So, yeah. so are we. Fun, so, fun. I, I, listen, as a U.S. fan, I'm confident in this team. I think that there's a ton of elite players in this group that can win games. At the same time, I said at the start, Canada's playing better soccer right now. And Canada's home. So I, I think it's really a 50-50 split. I think it's tough. Uh, my expectation would be that Canada wins this game. Um, that they have shown that they have match winners in the side. They've stabilized defensively. Um, obviously, Borjan was incredible in Honduras. You also have Maxine Crepo. I just, I think this is a Canada team that doesn't lose the game by themselves. And right now, sort of as me and Tom alluded to in the opening question or two, this isn't a U.S. team that's peaking. And right. so um, we saw them raise their game to Mexico, which I think is promising for the Canada game of like when challenged with an opponent that they understand is elite, the U.S. has raised their game. Unfortunately, they've also somewhat dropped their game or struggled against teams they're better than. It's one of the reasons I'm excited about this game is I think it's sort of for both teams a little window in what they would look like mm. in a World Cup right? Uh, versus I think playing at Honduras and playing El Salvador at home is just unique and different. Um, and so I'm excited about the game. There's a ton of elements, but I, I would be surprised if Canada doesn't come away with a result. And I'm going to say I think Canada wins 2-1. I'm going with a draw. I just think it makes, you know, these, these are, you know, as you say, that Canada are playing better at the moment, but on, on, you know, on the digital screen, US, U.S. might have more talent, particularly with, with Alfonso Davies not around. Um, I think that, as you say, they do, ra- the United States do raise their level to better teams. 
which is encouraging yet frustrating in games against El Salvador and, and Honduras and stuff. But yeah, I think this one has draw written all over it because, you know, if, if Alfonso Davies was fit and here, I would, I'd be saying Canada, but I think the U.S. will get a point here. And to just to follow up on, on Tom's point there of raising the game and being frustrating, I also think this is a U.S. team that's they're better against the ball probably. Right. And Greg yeah. Berhalter sort of talked about uh, he, he wants the press. And when you look at the players in the team, I mean, half of them play in a Red Bull system or came <laughs> from Philly, right? And so I think that's part of that, which is why it's exciting to play Canada and say, what will the U.S. look like against these higher level opponents? Is It's not just the intensity or the, the, the mental side. It's like the actual tactical side. I think the U.S. is better for games like this. Well, there we have it. Should be intriguing one way or the other. Let's hope David's right in that it is indeed a barn burner because from a media perspective, it would be nice. Maybe from a fan perspective, either team is like, "Ah, let's hope it's exciting from our point of view. But we will obviously see this Sunday. Uh, Before we let you go, guys, uh, Tom, then David, if you guys want to plug your Twitters and any work that you guys want to promote, now is the time. Yeah, just at Tom Bogan on Twitter and then see me anywhere on M1Saga.com. Uh, at Empire and then Gas, but it's spelled G-A-S-S and pronounced Gas, which is fine. <laughs> On Twitter, and then, yeah, I, I do Extra Time Radio and a football pod, um, which I do with Devang Desai, who's based out of Toronto, who is how I got connected to these guys, so you should listen to us. I second that. Very good show. Once again, guys, thank you for joining us, and uh, I, I, I suppose good luck on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs>